This afternoon, I proclaim to you the Word of God as we confess that in Lord's Day 3 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 3. And here we're still in the part of the Catechism about our sin and misery. Lord's Day 2 ended with the words, Can you keep all this perfectly? No, I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. And then Lord's Day 3 follows, Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No. On the contrary, God created man good and in his image. That is in true righteousness and holiness so that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and boys and girls here who belong to the Lord, it's not a big Lord's Day that we have today, but it's a pretty weighty one. There's a, lot of, there's a lot in it, quite a number of important doctrinal matters come to the fore in this Lord's Day. Creation of man, man as the image of God, the fall of our first parents into sin, original sin, which includes then how we all have to do with Adam and Eve's first sin, corruption of the human nature, and finally also regeneration by the Spirit of God. That's a lot, a lot in this Lord's Day. Of course, we can't deal with all those matters here this afternoon or we'd be busy till the cows come home, especially if you consider the relevance of those topics to today's mindset. We could go on and on. Today, for instance, the matter of historicity is pretty relevant. How should we read the first chapters of, of Genesis? Are they a historical account of the beginning or are they just a figurative picture of how it started and then when it comes to human nature, does what we confess in Lord's Day 3 about our being so corrupt that we're totally unable to do any good, i.e. good to save ourselves, and inclined to all evil, does that really reflect the human nature? Well, in thinking about those things, we have to keep in mind that it's not, this is not about what we think or feel, but this is about what God says in His Word. We confess this out of Scripture. This has been taken out of God's Word. And we can also keep in mind that as we confessed already in Lord's Day 1, that we belong to Jesus Christ the Savior. That's always our starting point. Always. We belong to Christ the Savior. Everything we confess about our sins and misery is intended to show us what a comfort it is that we belong to Him. To live in the joy of that comfort of belonging to Him. Lord's Day 3 then has the purpose to show us how we stand before God in ourselves so that we realize how awesome it is that we can stand before God in Jesus Christ. And a central theme is in, in this Lord's Day then too is man as image, made in God's image, fallen to Adam's image, regenerated in the image of Christ. 
And with that in mind, I proclaim to you what we confess from the Bible in Lord's Day 3 with this theme, then man is image, image of God, first of all, secondly, image of Adam, and thirdly, image of Christ. First, man is image of God. So in, in Lord's Day 3, we go back to the beginning of mankind. Paradise was mentioned in Lord's Day 2 already, too. In paradise, we confess our nature became so corrupt that we're all conceived and born in sin. How did we become this way? Did God make us defective so that we became like that? Of course, in itself, that's a pretty disrespectful question. Who would dare accuse God of making us defective in the first place? Still, it's good that this question ends up on the table here because it's one that comes up in people all the time and so many answer yes to that. There was something defective in creation. Many religions and philosophies see life as a battle between good and evil. And you see that put forward in so many books and movies today too. Superheroes and so on. The struggle of good versus evil. And then the hope is that good will possibly overcome evil. Many even believe that evil has always existed and that good and evil have always stood against, over against each other in the cosmos. And then you, so you try to do good, but the fact is you also have to deal with evil and then it's not your fault if you fall for that. It's a fault of the forces of nature or it's a fault of God who made it all in the beginning, in the first place. There are even... I've read about people who, who call themselves Christians who propose that God actually has a light side and a dark side. God himself has these two sides, and that's where evil comes from. Good and evil are actually at war in God himself, and they battle it out in his creation here. And our purpose in, as people is then to help God overcome the evil that's still in him. And Jesus Christ showed us how to do that. And in the end, you realize actually what that whole idea is that, that man has to save God rather than God save mankind. But our confession of the Bible in Lord's Day 3 is so sharp and clear. God created man good in the beginning. And you have to think here, of course, of what it says in Genesis 1.31, then God saw everything that he had made and it was very good. That's stated after he made man. Very good. Eliminates any idea of there being good and evil in his creation in the first place. Evil wasn't part and parcel of God's creation at all. Everything was good. It was all good. Not a single spot of evil and corruption in it all. In this world which is so broken and corrupted, we can't imagine what that must have been like. A world without any evil. But we hold to that truth because this is what the Bible says. That's the way God made it in the beginning. And that brings us into the discussion about creation and evolution too then, right? Because the basic question is, did the world and man in it truly begin good? Totally and completely good. To answer that is to answer the question whether mankind evolved from other creatures too. 
because the main pillar of evolution is the struggle for life and the so-called survival of the fittest. And by definition, there has to be evil in the world where there's a struggle for life and survival of the fittest. And to follow that through to today, that would mean that there is no real definitive good, but good is whatever helps you survive above the others. So you see that creation and evolution then have everything to do with the issue of good and evil. And not only that, if you think in terms of evolution, then man is the product of chance biological occurrences. And then where do consciousness and subsequently conscious come from? Where does a sense of good and evil come into the picture then for man? The Bible teaches us to look differently at the origin of mankind. Our existence, according to the Bible, is due to a well-thought-out plan and decision of God. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And then he formed him from the dust of the earth. How are we supposed to see man as image of God then? You know, an image shows something of what it's supposed to represent. It shows, a, a, it's a picture of something. An image of the queen on a coin shows what she looks like. A good image looks like something or someone. So people look like God in a certain way, but obviously not physically because God is spirit and doesn't have a body as we do. We're not static or non-moving images of God, but living images. So it's not a matter of looking like God externally, but representing God being representatives of God by acting like him as he wishes. In Genesis 1, God said mankind should have dominion over all creatures, and that's where you see the similarity with God. God the creator reigns over all things from heaven, but he appoints man to have dominion over his creation, dominion over all creatures. And we can show God's government over all things, good government in all things, in, in how we exercise that dominion here on earth. Do we use the world, the animals, the plants for our own pleasure and profit only, or do we use it for God to show His glory and majesty? See, that's what being image of God is actually about, namely that you're focused on God in your life and work, that you show Him in your way of doing everything. The Catechism puts it this way, God created man in true righteousness and holiness so that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. The value of an image, you realize, is not in the image itself, but in who it represents, that image represents. You look at a picture of the queen and it's not the image that's important, but the queen who is important. The, the one who's represented in that picture. And, and then yet you can point to that picture and say, that's a queen. Because it's an image of our well-known head of state, the queen. So our identity, you see that our identity is closely connected with God. The apostle Paul spoke of a mirror. We reflect God's glory, and so we're more and more changed into his image. Only if we reflect God's light, though, will God be visible in our lives and will we be true image of God? 
Well, that's how God created man. That's how he intended him to live. God wanted a creature that would be compatible with him, could respond to him, reciprocate his love, have communication with him, show his glory. God created man in a covenant relationship with himself then. God could promise to love and care for man and to require man to love and serve him. So God created man good and in his image. And that means that man could communicate with God, could say yes to what he asked of him, could direct his will to match God's good will. That's how it all was in the beginning. It was very good. Good in direct contact with God, fulfilling God's will in every way, image of God in righteousness and holiness. So there's no way that our sinful nature originated in any way with God. Not a bit. From his side, God only made us good, able to reflect his goodness and holiness and righteousness in everything. But that makes the issue of how we became the way we, we obviously are very important. Inclined by nature to hate God and our neighbor and prone to evil. That makes, that, that's still the question that brings us to the second point, man is image of Adam. So how did, we, how did we become so corrupt in ourselves as we confess at the end of Lord's Day 2 and the end of Lord's Day 3? Realize how we already mentioned, evolution can't give the answer to that. The Bible can answer that, though, in response to the question of how we became the way we are. If God didn't make us this way, the catechism points to our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. They were disobedient. They rebelled against God's good command. They fell into sin. They chose against God. And that's where things went wrong for all of us together. The origin of sin, in other words, lies in a conscious choice of mankind as contained in the first people, Adam and Eve. That's where it went off the rails. That's the answer, but not actually the explanation, though, right? Because we ultimately we can't explain this. If you think of how good it was, very good in the beginning, you, you can't imagine how anybody would choose evil. How how anybody could think of turning away from God, going against his good will. Inexplicable. But then it's also inexplicable that we, knowing Christ, are still so prone to sin. In any case, our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God. That's what it came down to. Of course, there was more involved. Instication of the devil. Wrong desire then. Then wanting to be like God and so on. But it all comes down to not wanting to obey God. Not accepting that it's God who decides what is good and right. Not wanting to reflect God's glory anymore, but seeking own honor. Not wanting to be image of God. Since that evil day, 
we congregation have become image of Adam. We're of his kind. We're people who do as he did. In Genesis 5, you have this whole list of Adam's descendants. It says there, Genesis 5, verse 1, that God made Adam in his likeness, his image. But then it says in verse 3 that when Adam was 130 years old, he begot a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. So you see a succession, God, Adam, Seth. But there's a sharp curve in that row. You can't say that Seth more reflected his, his father. You, you have to say that Seth more reflected his father Adam's way of thinking and acting than the Lord his God's way of thinking and acting. He was Adam's image. Adam rebelled against God and was driven out of paradise. And that's how Seth enters the world then too, in rebellion against God and outside of paradise. And after Seth, the list goes on in Genesis 5, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, and so on, all born in Adam's image. They continue with what Adam did, rebel against God, live in rebellion against God. And so you see that whole chain of rebellion against God is passed on from parents to children through the generations of mankind to today. The whole of mankind connected to Adam and Eve. They made the decisive choice and all their descendants are affected. All end up in their image. None of them can break the mold. Our existence from the very beginning of our lives is determined by that choice made by our first parents in paradise to go against what God had commanded. We're all children of Adam, and in Adam's fall, therefore, we fell all. And we read about that in Romans 5. In that chapter, the Apostle Paul, you know, he weaves together those uh, two great themes that he works out later on in the, the letter to the Romans. The condemnation of all that came through the fall of Adam and the, just, the glorious justification that has been provided in Jesus Christ for all who believe in him. And the apostle then first looks back to Adam. Verse 12, he says, Romans 5, verse 12, he says that through him, that one man, sin entered the world. And through sin, death. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So Paul makes a connection between Adam's sin and our sin now, between death and the punishment for Adam's sin and the fact that all die. And then he works that out. He works out what he means. Verse 18, therefore, as through one man's offense, Adam's sin in paradise, Judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, Christ's death, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So the apostle shows us clearly in the first place that Adam's sin was reckoned to us all. And you might question the justice of that, you know. Why should 
Adam's sin bring condemnation on me here today. And we confess that about every child that is brought to the baptismal font, conceived and born in sin, and therefore condemnable before God, subject to all sorts of condemnation. Not an easy thing to fathom, but note that the catechism in Lord's Day 3 speaks very specifically of Adam and Eve as our first parents. So we don't have to go, we don't have to do here with an individual sinful act committed by the first people, no. God had established his covenant with them in the beginning, and all of mankind was included in that covenant in Adam. And so when he acted, he acted as representative of the whole human race. So the whole human race was included in Adam's disobedience. Just like when a, a father, as a head of a household, decides to emigrate to another country. And he's going to take his whole family with him. And, and then the children born afterwards, when, once he's emigrated, they have no choice but to be born a different nationality. So we sinned with Adam when he took that fruit in paradise. He took us with him. We went with him. But lest you get too upset about Adam's sin and guilt being reckoned to you, look at how the apostle parallels that imputation, that reckoning of Adam's sin to us with the imputation or reckoning of Jesus Christ's righteousness to us in verse 19 of Romans 5. For as by one man, one man's disobedience, Adam's, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, Christ's, many will be made righteous. In other words, if you can accept that you sinned and are guilty and worthy of condemnation with Adam from conception and birth already, even if you don't fully comprehend it, then you'll also be able to accept the wonderful truth that you are made righteous in Christ, even if you don't understand that completely either. If Adam represented us in the fall into sin, then Christ can also represent us in the redemption in the covenant of grace. And that's also, you, you see that reflected in the form for the baptism of infants. Believers baptize their children even though they don't understand what's going on yet because just as they share without their knowledge in the condemnation of Adam, so are they without their knowledge received into grace in Christ. Congregation, we were created in God's image in righteousness and holiness, able to know and love and serve God to his glory. But because of Adam's fall, we all ended up bearing Adam's image, which means conceived and born in sin, condemnable in ourselves right from the beginning of our lives, inclined to evil, but included with all in Adam's fall means we can also be included in Christ's obedience by which he gave himself for many, for others. And to belong to Christ means also to be regenerated in his image. And that brings us to the last point of the sermon this afternoon. Man is the image of Christ. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we, we mentioned that parallel of Romans 5 as through one man, Adam's sin entered the world, and death through sin. So righteousness and life came through that one man, Jesus Christ. Now, there's kind of a parallel there. But 
there's also a difference between Adam and Christ, between that succession there. There's a difference, too. Adam's sin unleashed an avalanche of many, many more sins in all of us. All his descendants, including us, follow in his footsteps. And so we're not only of ourselves guilty of Adam's sin, but also guilty of continually making the same choice Adam did in paradise over and over and over again. And we all die because we all sin and keep sinning. But it's different with Christ. It isn't so that Christ shows us then by his righteousness and death how to be obedient to God and that because we imitate him we can be, make ourselves righteous before God. No. Christ's one act of righteousness on Golgotha brings God to declare us righteous in his presence before we do anything good. We were reconciled to God while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies. And this is where our misery turns into wonderful comfort. What we take with us in our human nature is only depravity. We can't do any good out of ourselves. And then we're thinking of saving good, good that can stand before God. We're only inclined to evil. We truly have to make a completely new beginning before God. We don't just need some repairs, some patching up, bit of a body job. No, we need to make a whole new beginning. And that's where the regeneration or rebirth by the Spirit at the end of Lord's Day 3 comes into view. A new beginning. It's shameful us for us to think about it, that we have to make a totally new beginning, but on the other hand, it's wonderful that, that at the end of Lord's Day 3, that comes into view. Jesus explained that to Nicodemus in John 3. He spoke of being born anew or born again, making a, a good beginning, even though at our birth we had a corrupt beginning. A new start to life. Nicodemus didn't understand it at all. What Jesus was saying when he spoke to him about being born anew. How in the world was that possible? Could you go back into the womb of your mother and then be born again all over? No, Jesus said. That birth is flesh giving birth to flesh. But rebirth is the spirit giving birth to spirit. It's a spiritual birth. You become a new person spiritually. And that becoming a new person spiritually isn't something we bring about then. It's not an instant and complete thing. It's a process worked by the Spirit through the gospel. The Apostle Paul speaks in Romans 8 about the whole creation groaning in childbirth as it moves toward the complete redemption in Christ, the renewal. And then he adds that we too who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan within ourselves as in childbirth too as we await our redemption. It's a process. Struggle as it is to bring a child into the world. And that process of rebirth is what the Apostle Paul is speaking about in Ephesians 4, which we also read before. 
It says, you have learned Christ. Come to know Christ. Heard him. Been taught by him. He says, verse 20 and 21. Therefore, therefore, put off your former conduct. That old man which grows corrupt due to its deceitful lusts. And instead, put on the new man created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Old man. That's what we are of ourselves. That's a sinful nature we inherited from Adam. That's us in the image of Adam, corrupt, unable to do good, the good which pleases God. Well, that old man has to die off. The old has to be done away with. And then the new man has to come to life in his place. A new humanity which we receive from Christ the new nature renewed in the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And this process begins in this life. And when we leave this life, we will leave that old man totally behind and be completely clothed with the new. But it's a process moving to that in this life. Congregation, we were wonderfully made very good in God's image in the beginning. We fell appallingly in Adam so that we're inclined to all evil, born in his image, condemnable, condemnable right from the beginning of our lives. Very, very humbling to think about that. Dead in our sin, Paul writes elsewhere. Born dead. But Christ has wonderfully provided redemption and he has promised us a resurrection, a whole new beginning. His spirit wants to give us rebirth and to renew us in his image, in true righteousness and holiness now. And that begins here. What a glorious salvation being worked out. What a wonderful comfort to have in Jesus Christ. Let's let His Spirit work in us through the gospel then so that our lives do more and more reflect His image, His holy life. Amen.